My name is Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors. And if you are new or newish with us this morning, I am glad that you're here. And I want to draw attention to the series that, you, that we are in, which is called Hungry for God, an Examination of Prayer and Fasting. We're doing this for the month of January. Uh, we are connected to an organization in the Houston area called the Houston Church Planting Network, and they are trying as best as they are able to get as many churches in the Houston area as possible, entering into a 30-day time of prayer and fasting from Monday, January 30th to February 28th, 30 days of prayer and fasting. And so a number of churches in the area are doing a series on prayer and fasting, talking about similar ideas, similar passages as we head into that time. So that's what we're doing. We have this week and next to go in that series. And I would love to invite you a week from today at 5 o'clock in the evening. We're going to have a time entering into that month. We're just going to have an hour of uh, praise and worship here together as a church family. Also, if you are on our email list, and if you're not, just let me know if you want the info, but we're asking those who are connected to our church family to just sign up for a day. And that day just means, hey, I'll, we're going to ask you to fast in some way as you see fit. Maybe it's a meal, maybe it's two, maybe it's all. It really depends on where you are in relationship to fasting and, and where you believe the Lord might have you go. Uh, but we have almost every day of those 30 covered, which is kind of cool. We'd love to have multiple people every day just praying and fasting. And the specific goal of that time is to fast for unbelievers in our lives, uh, our ministry to them, that the Lord might save them. And I also ask anybody who's joining in on that just to pray for us and our effectiveness as witnesses for Jesus and our seriousness about it. I have my buddy Danny uses this phrase a lot, which just sticks with me. Shared it before, missionally aggressive, which kind of spooks me because I know that's not me. Uh, you know, like, like theologically clear and missionally aggressive. And like that, that's how he talks about what he'd love to see churches be. And I'm like, I really like that. Maybe only in theory. I think in practice I get a little more scared by it, but I think it's true. We want people to come to know the Lord. Uh, we do not just exist for ourselves. And so we, are, uh, we can praise him, called into his marvelous light, and we want to point others to him. We'll restart the Gospel of John, which we had been in for a big portion of the past year, in February. So as we start that month, we'll get back into John, and we're actually in the, the passion part of John. So we'll be heading into Easter already talking about Jesus' trial, death, burial. I'm tr- I try to time it out this week, this week so that we're in resurrection accounts during Easter and not like, you know, still on the trial as we're having that. So I think, we, I think we lined it out to get to at least one of the resurrection accounts on Easter, uh, but we'll be just spending the rest of the spring or a good portion of the spring through April in uh, this last part of John 18 through 21. So that's kind of where we are. If you'd like to participate in our time of prayer and fasting and you just haven't been able to and you want to say, hey, give me Tuesdays or give me a day and I'll do breakfast or something like that, just let me know if you didn't get that and I'd be happy to help you get on that list. But with that, let's look at Ezra. I want to start by just talking about something we do. Our family prays. On every trip we go on, I don't know what the actual time duration has to be, but it's somewhere like if the trip is longer than about four hours, it gets a prayer. Probably every trip should get a prayer, but at least four hours gets a prayer. And hey guys, let's just stop really quick and we pray. And I have one kid who prays faithfully this prayer in the car as we're backing down the driveway. God, I pray that our tire doesn't pop. Every time. God, I pray that our tire doesn't pop. 
Well, that came from a time where it did, and it was actually a, a pretty, I thought it was a pretty cool story. I'm really grateful for even the silly little ways that it seemed that the Lord provided in that moment, because when I was doing my PhD work, I'd have to travel to Louisville a lot. And so two or three times a year, you're taking that trek like 13 miles from Baton Rouge, 13 hours from Baton Rouge to Louisville North, and then you do your work and you come back. And when we could time it with uh, the end of school, because there'd usually be kind of a, maybe an August, a December, and a May trip, and when we could time that May trip at the end of school, we'd try to do a, a family trip out of it, and I would do school work, and they would go to like the Kentucky Science Center, which is, it's baller. So they go to the Kentucky Science Center. And I would go to school stuff, and we'd have dinner at night, and, you know, Grandma would come, and they would just have a ball. So we would do that. But one time we were in Mississippi, and we had just gotten done at Wendy's because I remember these things. And I'm on the road, and you, I'm like, you hear, dun, dun. I'm like, this is not the way. It, I'm not running over, you know, like a reflector on the interstate. Boom, boom. This isn't normal. And so we pull over, and I look, and there's this goose egg on the side of my tire. Like, it's just getting bigger. This doesn't, I don't think this is normal. So pull over, see it, and start driving. It's like, it's like a Saturday afternoon, I think. Like it's, some, it's Saturday or Sunday afternoon. No chance we're going to like find a tire shop. Just count tires not open. So we, we go. I'm like, you know what? I just need to put the spare on here because I don't trust anything about this tire. So they all get out of the car, and, and I jack it up. And as I'm starting to get ready for it, you pop. It's like, it's like a gun goes off, and there's, the tire explodes in a parking lot while I'm changing it. Um, and change it out. This guy across the street sees me. This is Mississippi, right? Like, he sees me, and he, he comes over, and he's like, hey, do you need help? I'm like, well, I need to get a new tire on this thing. We've got a trip up to Louisville, and I don't, you know, we're, I have nowhere to go. You know, like, the, the despair's not getting us there. And so he, uh, he knew of a, you know, hole-in-the-wall tire shop. It was like a mile down the road. So he takes me there. He goes in. He talks to the owner. And it's like one of those things where like the tire shop's in the front and the guy's house is in the back. And so like it's just piles of tires everywhere. And, and so I pull in. I'm like, hey, man, I just need a tire here. And he's like, I got one for you. And I had cash in my pocket for some reason because I rarely have cash. And anyways, uh, it all worked out. We got a new tire on, made it to Louisville, made it back. I went to the to place I got those tires from. I said, hey, man, it didn't last as long as you thought. He was like, shoot. So he got me new tires at a lesser rate because of that. But I look at that, and I just go, that's God's provision. We don't think, we don't think about it like that. Again, we, the heart of my belief just goes, oh, that's just, what a good coincidence that, that, like, you heard it, you pulled over, you saw it, you got your family out of the car, you started to change the tire, the tire popped, there was a guy across the street, the guy brought you to a shop right down the road. The shop was somehow, for whatever reason, open because it was owned by a guy who lives in the back. He had the tire that you needed. The guy who got you there had, didn't want to have any of you. I was like, dude, take some money. You know what you do. Like, Here, th thank you for your help. He's like, no, gosh, no, no. And so, like, we're on the road. We get to where we need. It was probably, like, a 30-minute disruption. And we try to take those moments as a family to point out God's provision. Look what God did here. Look how, look how God moved here. And so now it's that, it's that thing that gets stuck in our heads. God, we pray our tire doesn't pop. We pray our tire doesn't pop. And I'm big on tire maintenance, air pressure, rotation, making sure that the tread is good. Like, I'm weird about stuff. So, I, like, if I'm walking over to your car, I look at the tread. And I'm like, hey, do you know you might need new tires? And you're like, people are like, shut up, Hans. I know. Like, like it's fine. So, 
that becomes a prayer of ours. We pray for safe travels. We pray like that the day is good. We pray, and all of that is like because we do view ourselves, or we should view ourselves. Every Christian here should view him or herself as a part of what God is doing in this world, right? That we are saved, and we don't just exist. It's not like we're saved and we just can't wait to go be in the new heaven and the new earth with him. Like there's a whole life to live here where we are agents of God indwelt by his spirit, able to proclaim his goodness, sent out into the world to make disciples. And, and the things that we do and the journeys upon which we are on, all of that matters, and everything is, has that level of significance. And you need, even on a trip to Louisville, so you can continue to do studies because you really are convinced that that's the next step that God has for you and your family, you pray and you ask God to provide. Or even when we're going to Pine Cove Family Camp, we pray for the trip. Oh, God, could you please get us there safely? We want to be sure everything works, that the, the coolant level doesn't go too low, or that this happens. And I mean, I, I, I have lists of ways to describe to you of how God has provided on those types of things because they're not insignificant, right? Things done that we do together in the realm of faith so that we can understand God, so that we can make him known. All of those things carry significance, and what we get to see today, even though praying that your tire doesn't pop seems like an insignificant prayer um, or even unnecessary, we need to realize that making specific requests of God as we are in the path of obedience, and that's important, if we're in the path of obedience, that that's just the way that children operate with their Heavenly Father. That, that we, we need to get to work. Because God has called us to be his image bearers. And as image bearers, work is a part of bearing his image and bringing his benevolent care to the ends of the earth. And so we don't just have to get to work. We should get to work as people who are indwelt by God and want to go reflect him with integrity in whatever workspace they were. We were praying this morning about that. And, and somebody was sharing about their own co-workers. Now, a few of their co-workers are believers, and they talk about their faith at work and how others want to they, they, they kind of chime in and clue in on it. Like, we want to do these things. Not just so that we can get to work, but because that's, all, that's a part of image bearing, right? We can tie it into how God has created us and what's going on and that we are you know, sent into a world to make disciples. Not just, not just people that we would consider missionaries who would go overseas to make Jesus known, but where you are and where you go is a part of how God is making himself known in this world. And so, what we get to see today in the book of Ezra, and we're going to again have to position it accordingly, but in the book of Ezra, we get to see Ezra's confidence in God's character and in God's plan and how that changes how he speaks of God and asks things of God. That's what we're going to see. So he has a confidence in what God is doing and it changes how he talks about God and it changes how he talks to God. Okay, so both of those things are there. How he talks about God and how he talks to God. And the talking about God is going to be both with his people and it's going to be with the king. And how he talks to God is going to be in what he asks. So Ezra 8, 21 through 23. We're going to look at the passage in just a moment. <clears throat> we're going to see the call and all of those things. But the first thing that we need to see is just what's going on with Ezra. So we've been using these Bible project charts as a way to help us understand some of what's going on. Now, again, any chart is an interpretation. I know all of you are going to go like, well, you can't see everything on it. I get it. But you really have to look at Ezra and Nehemiah as telling those two books together, as telling the story of three returns. Okay, the first return is in the first half of Ezra, the first six chapters, which is the return of Zerubbabel, and that's really temple renewal. The first thing you do when you get back is we got to worship. And their way of worship was through the temple, and the temple had been destroyed, and so they're rebuilding the foundation. They're trying to seek to 
create a space of worship again as they come back into the land. And that, of course, is met with conflict, and there's some disagreement that's going on there. Like, there, there, there's opposition even in the land. But that's the first return. And then 6 goes to 7, and it's about 50 years later. You don't know that because you're just brought into chapter 7. But about 50 years after the end of that first return, we have Ezra returning. And Ezra really does focus on this spiritual renewal of the people. He's, he's concerned about not just their, their worshiping facilities. He's concerned about their hearts. And he's calling them into a specific time to return. Ezra, unlike Nehemiah, was not a, a government official. Uh, he was a learned man in the law, priestly. He was concerned about the law, and he wanted his people to understand the law. So we kind of have a, a temple renewal, and we have a spiritual renewal with the law. And then we get into Nehemiah, which is the third one. We're not going into Nehemiah today, but the book of Nehemiah then talks about more renewal from the people. And it's interesting, as this chart shows, it is that Zerubbabel's return, and Ezra's return, and Nehemiah's return all end hair unresolved. Like it doesn't go, like even the end with Nehemiah uh, Nehemiah's prayer at the end of the book is like, and God, just remember that I tried. Like, that's kind of how, just remember that, you know, I tried here. I, I was doing my best. Very often when we look at these books, we talk about them with regard to, to leadership. Uh, that's, that's all, like, like, we don't know how to talk about these books without talking about leadership because the, the pieces become so odd to us. Like, well, we don't have a temple. We don't have this. But what you get, really get to see again, as we saw with Esther, is the way God is providing for him, uh, his people to get back to the land so they can worship, they can, know, they can know him, they can make him known. And this is the continuation of God's promises after the period of exile where they can come back in, return to the land, and begin to declare his goodness. I want to give you a couple of verses on Ezra, just as a man. So Ezra 7.6 says it like this, uh, that he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he had asked for the hand of the Lord of God was upon him. That's in his return to the land. He was a skilled scribe, Skilled in the law of Moses from the Lord. This was about, you know, that's just like, this is like a thousand years after Moses. Okay, so it's not, we're not in like, oh yeah, Moses just happened yesterday. Like, like we're, we are, we're about a thousand years removed from when the Exodus was going on at this point in time. And, and you can see how rooted the nation is in the law God gave to Moses and how important and significant it was. Now, they didn't always obey it, did they? But how significant it was for somebody like Ezra a thousand years later to still be skilled in the law. And that's, in fact, if you know anything about Ezra, that's the thing that maybe becomes most important is that reading that he does and the, and the declaration that goes on and the way that he tries to help people understand how to walk with God. This is from verse 10 of Ezra 7. Ezra had set his heart to study the law, to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Ezra had a heart for God, an understanding of who God was, how God worked. He knew the law. He knew God's promises. He knew the character of his God. That's an important part of how we understand how Ezra does what he does, is that our confidence in God is really only going to be based in our knowledge of him. Okay? Like, like so, so, so as we know him, we can actually speak with more confidence about him, and we can trust and see how much more he is able to move, whereas if we, if we have limited interaction with God and limited confidence in his word and limited understanding of how he works in this world and, and, and limited theological even reflection on what's going on in life and how God is moving, then we have a very hard time declaring it because we can't connect God's faithfulness to today. 
We can't, we can't connect what's going on to today. So Ezra, somebody who's skilled in God's law and wants to both know it and live it and teach it, that in and of itself gives him a level of confidence as he's interacting about who God is and what God might do. This is why for us as a church, disciple-making is so important because there should always be mature believers, and I'll say immature or younger believers, older believers and younger believers in a faith family. And what do we so often need if we're a younger believer but to have somebody come alongside us and go, I I promise you that God's going to come through. I promise you that he's faithful. Let me show you where we can see that. Let me show you where we walk through that. Let me show you what he's taught me. And I know so often we feel as if, we, if, now, I'm not saying that because you've been a Christian 30 years, you're mature, because that has been proven to not necessarily be the case. Um, but for those who have walked with the Lord and grown in him and seen his faithfulness, they may think that they have very little to offer people who are 20, 30, 40 years younger than they are, but that's just simply not the case. Because what so often younger believers need is somebody who can just be a steadying force to go, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And Ezra got to be that. Now, in this interaction, we're going to get to see how Ezra does this. And getting into where we're going to be, which is just 21, 22, and 23, he records in chapter 8, 1 through 14, all the families who will be traveling with him from Babylon to Jerusalem. And then he sends men to go secure Levites so that the people can worship. This is interesting. He's like, and I realized that nobody with us was a Levite. <clears throat> and so we had, he had to go send somebody to go actually be, to like go to somebody's land and go, go get some Levites for us because we need to be able to operate in the right way. Interesting that Ezra didn't just go, oh, it'll be fine. Like, he was like, it won't be fine. Levites help us worship. So the fact that we have all these people going and no Levites is not a good thing. So he goes and he gets Levites in 15 through 20. Then in our passage, he declares a fast. Then he records in 24 through 30 the items that are brought back to worship. That, that, that basically a list of the things that are going to return to help them worship. And then we see in 31 through 36 of chapter 8, the return to Jerusalem and the conclusion of the journey. Now in 21, 22, and 23, we get this specific request. And there's so much here in these three verses that if we just kind of read on past it, we'll miss out on. So we're just going to do it bit by bit. First, we see that Ezra called God's people to a specific fast for a specific purpose. Specific fast for a specific purpose. Now look at verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava. That we might, this is as their journey's beginning, so they're gonna have a ways to go. That we might humble ourselves before our God, right? Because fasting is a demonstration of humility. I call a fast, we need to humble ourselves before our God. And then look, to seek from Him a safe journey, that their tire doesn't pop, for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. Now, that's interesting for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. Because that's probably not how we, we think about it. But for an Israelite, even the things that they were bringing were a part of their worship. It all, it all mattered that they would get there, that the kids would get there, that everything would get there. Now, when you're taking a long journey by caravan back to Jerusalem, and danger might be around any corner as you go, seems like prayer would be a pretty significant part of 
of your, we could use the phrase strategy, but it just seems a necessary part of what you would do. God, we need you to get us there. But notice that it was so pointed in that moment. Now, we have seen in, as we've gone through our passage, the beginning of the month, we looked at Jonah and the Ninevites call a fast. And they call a fast because they've been confronted with their sin and they have this question of like, who knows? Maybe God will turn and have mercy. And we saw in Jonah that God does have mercy on the Ninevites. As we look in Joel, we saw God call his own people to return, that they had neglected him in his ways. And so he calls a fast for them to return. And again, there's that phrase of who knows what he might do. In Esther, she's going to go before the king when she's not invited and she's going to make a request on behalf of her people. And who knows what God will do. If she dies, she dies, but she's going to go risk it her reputation and her status for her people. And here in Ezra, again, we see a specific request being made for a specific purpose. And in all of these fasts, don't you see some, some theme of ways God operates? Repentance of a, of a pagan nation, repentance even of God's people, the preservation of God's people in the book of Esther, the preservation of God's people in Ezra as they return. Next week will be the one where there's not doesn't seem to be a specific purpose. Seems to me the specific purpose would be just rejoicing in the salvation that has come in Christ. That seems to be what's going on actually. This is like to be together. And so that 13 is the one where there's not a specific purpose, but God creates a specific purpose out of it. So that's the one that gets flipped. But all of these so far, there's been specific calls for specific purposes. And this one, you will know if there is a specific answer because they will get there. Like, that's how you know it happened. They got there. And if they don't get there, then the prayer wasn't answered as they had anticipated. So this one has, this one's time stamped. And sometimes that's the case, isn't it? Sometimes in prayer, like we have things that we might have been praying for for one, two, three, four, five, 20 years. And then we have some things that we're praying for. It's like, Lord, I got to make a decision by tomorrow. And, and I need your wisdom now because I don't have four weeks to consider it. And so give me your wisdom now. And might we be able to move from that? And so different things in different ways. But I love that there's like a, we got to get back. And we need God to protect us, our children, and our goods as we return. The posture there was for humility. We might humble ourselves before God without arrogantly being like, oh no, he's got us, we're good, we're totally fine, no big deal, don't even have to worry about it. There's this interesting interplay we've seen each time between recognizing that God is sovereign and powerful and that the, the not the, a mechanism that he has given us for interacting with him is prayer. And, and that those two things work together. So they know God's promises. They, Ezra knows God's character. He's studied God's law. But at the same time as he's done that, and I bet you would think, and we'll find out soon, that he has confidence that God's going to get him there. At the same time, he's still praying for God's provision on the trip. So for those of us who struggle with why do we even pray, the answer is we pray because that's the way God built us to need him. Like as we walk with him and as we, as we move with him, like, like prayer just needs to saturate everything that we do because how do we do it if not from God? How do we do it, how do we do it if not by God? How do we, how do we get, to, get to work and 
and honor God? How do we show up to worship? How do we, how do, we do anything without him? Because, because his, his, his rule and reign saturates all of life. So walking with God requires faith in who he is, and then the moving in confidence because of that, which is based, again, in knowledge of who he is. We trust God and his promises, and we prepare for what he has put before us, but we still surrender all of those things to his care, the things big and the things that are small. This, too, is an issue that God has spoken about. Ezra, knowing the law, knows God's heart for his people. He knows God's heart for his land. He knows that disobedience sends them out of the land, but now it seems that he's moving in a way to bring them back into the land. And so Ezra, as a man who has meditated on these things and considered these things, knows there's something about God here. And there's really no more confident prayer that you can pray than a prayer that is based on what is revealed in the Scriptures. Where you go, this is what you've said, Lord. This is what you've done, and I'm going to stand on it because I have nothing else to stand on but what you have said. Now, interesting, as 21 moves to 22, he gives us a reason. And this is an interesting little reason. Look at verse 22. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. I'm going to stop right there. Leave that up. I'm going to stop right there because he calls a fast. He said, we got a fast that God gives us a safe journey. Now we get a reason, which is I'm calling the fast because we didn't ask for an army. Now, Nehemiah has people travel back with him. So this is a unique part of how Ezra goes back. And Ezra has a reason that he didn't ask the king. And that shows up in the second half of 22. I told the king... The hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. And the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. Do you notice even here that Ezra is speaking something about God confidently? Even if maybe personally he's not sure how it's going to work out. Like, I, didn't, I could have had this, but I didn't ask for it. Because I told the king what I know is true. And so now we have to go before God and ask him to show up. Because I've kind of outed us as confident. So now we need, a, we need God to show up here. And this is what I love, is that God's faithfulness is not dependent on Ezra's confidence. Even though he still has it. And it changes how he spoke to the king. He's like, I know God's going to do it. And he's like, he has to go to God and go, God, I, I said it. <laughs> said it to the king. Really need you to show up here. But I love that. I love the faith in that moment. Even though he's like, he's like, I was afraid to say anything. I didn't take anybody coming back with me to protect us. We needed the Lord to do it. And these are great prayers to pray. Prayers that can only be answered by God. Right? Where you just go, there's not another way that we could have done it. King, we will be okay because God's hand is with us. He will protect us. And his hand is against any of our enemies. Now, what is that not rooted in but Genesis 12, 1 through 3? That's actually, I think, our memory verse coming up, uh, like starting in two weeks. Like our memory work and our reading plan. Where you see God's call to Abram and the promise that he gives. That he will bless all who bless him and he will curse all who curse him. And through Abram, Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so Ezra is only 
rooting these prayers and this confidence in what he knows God has done. And what he knows God has spoken. God's hand is on his people and is against those who reject his people. But you notice that part where he still goes to God and goes, but God, you're really going to have to show up. Because now we're on a journey. I've shared this story more times than I even, I even know. Uh, but if you read The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place, and she tells the story of being afraid of death, and her dad, Casper Ten Boom, gives her a lesson about how God will give you what you need. And he uses the train and getting on a train as an illustration. These are not illustrations that we would use because I don't know if we've ever been on trains. But he says, Corey, when do I give you your ticket for the train? And, of course, the answer is, well, when I need it. And he goes, yes, God's not going to give you something before you need it. Like, you don't have to worry about it before you have to worry about it. Let God provide for you when you need it. I give you what you need when you need it. And yes, Ezra and everyone who was with him needed God's provision for the entire journey, but they also needed it for that day. Isn't that how Jesus teaches us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. That we remember that moment by moment we need God's provision and we need God's care. And so what I love here, and I see Ezra model for us, is speaking to people, even people far from God, like the king with a confidence in who God is. That, that there's no better way for us to talk to people who, who don't know the Lord than to talk to them about the true things about God. And isn't it true that God, based on his promises and how Ezra understands the law and what we've seen throughout Scripture, even to this point, is it true that God would, God would get him there? But he still had to speak it to the king and say, this is going to be okay. And so... When you're talking to people, and I think something that many, many people deal with is anxiety. They worry about everything, every part of life. Will this be okay? Will this be okay? Will my kids be okay? Will my life be okay? Will I be healthy enough? Will I have enough money for this, that, and that? But what does Scripture say? Be anxious about nothing. It doesn't say be anxious for only the important things. It says don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer and petition... Make your requests known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, why does that matter when you're talking to somebody who doesn't know God? Because they wouldn't be able to make that connection. Well, here's why. I get anxious too. But one thing that I have seen that God asks of me when I'm anxious is to pray, is to bring my anxieties before him. And it's interesting, right, that, 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 that the response to anxiety from the Apostle Paul is to pray. Like, it's not just don't be anxious. It's, it's just pray. <laughs> because once you pray, you actually bring it. Anxiety is really about our control of a situation, isn't it? I don't think I can control this. But once you pray, you actually bring it to God's control. And he can. So we worry about our little kingdom over here and go, I'm not sure this is going to work out the right way. And that's where we get so anxious and caught up. But once we bring that beyond our control and we go, God, you have to cover this because I can't. 
I don't have the emotional capacity. I don't have the mental capacity. I can't get it done. But even knowing that, knowing how you go to God in prayer gives you a way to talk to people who don't know the Lord, who might be anxious. This is what God's taught me about where to go. Would you like to talk about that? Would you like to talk about how we handle our anxieties? I think it also teaches us to pray big and specific prayers. It doesn't feel like that our tire doesn't pop is a big prayer. But a tire popping on an interstate is a pretty big concern. It's a pretty, not just, just disruptive, but could be deadly. But I think so often we don't have a, a, a lexicon to talk to God about those types of specific things. Because we, we have created in our mind these tiers of worth God's time and not worth God's time. And I would just ask to the parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, anyone in the room. Are your kids' requests and are your grandkids' requests not worth your time? Even when they're harebrained and obnoxious? Are they not worth your time? Or do you want to hear all of them? Because in hearing all of them, what do you hear but the heart of your children? And so I think we struggle here how to pray these prayers. But I think what we can do is add to how we pray that so that. Right? It's not just the request, but why are we making that request? Pray that our tire doesn't pop so that we can get there safely, so that dad can continue to go to school, so that he can help train people, and that we can enjoy our time as a family and have this time, you know, time to connect. I pray that we can launch more groups, not just so that our church is bigger, but so we have more effective ways of discipling men, women, and children. That we have new spaces for new people and new leaders who can grow up in you and maybe even from that new church as God. That's what we want. Heavenly Father, we pray that our, our budget is strong so that we can bless opportunities that come our way, so we can provide for needs in the community. We want, we want to see these types of things. We want to reflect you more clearly. Heavenly Father, I pray that my, my marriage is strong so that we can be a testimony of your faithfulness of overcoming anger and, 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 and show forgiveness to one another so that other couples who might be in that same spot would not get to that spot that we had gotten into and that you could use our testimony as a way to keep others from the same kinds of trouble. Do you see how specific prayers are big prayers? When you can just think about why it even matters. And Ezra's rooting his prayer in the character of God and in the promises of God, knowing that God has for his people to go back into the land. And so he's asking God to show up to make true on his promises. And then you get to see in verse 23 the answer. So we fasted and implored our God for this that they'd have a safe journey for them, their children, and their possessions. And he listened to our entreaty. Listening would be the same idea as he heard and he responded. He listened to us. He heard us. And so what happens here? Well, one, the more specifically you pray, the more clearly you can know when God answers. 
And I've said this to us before, and it really is a burden of mine. I, I word it poorly sometimes. But I want us to pray no prayers that can't be answered. And what I mean by that is I want us to pray things where we know God's saying yes, God's saying no, God's saying wait, and wait might be 55 years. But I want us to pray things where we know what God is doing. And the more specifically we can ask and root those things in what God has revealed and what God is doing, the more clearly we can pray. And they can be big and they can be small, but here's what gets to happen as we do this, verse 23. Look at the back end, 23b as we would call it. And he listened to our entreaty. Who gets the honor when a prayer gets answered? It's an easy, it's an easy answer, so you can say it out here. Remember? Who gets honored? God gets honored. That's right. Like, like, it's it's not, a, a, not a trick question here. Remember, I ask no questions in a Sunday morning that are going to have answers other than, like, God or, like, what's that word say, okay? So, like, that's all we're going to ask here because it's really embarrassing to get the wrong thing in church. So I get it. The more specifically you pray, the more clearly you see the answer, and the, and the better you can, can declare it. Now, here's something. It feels like we're boasting in ourselves, but we're not. To say, look what God's done. We actually started this morning. So we huddle up at 10 o'clock. We pray. We do it in different ways. Talk about different things. And we let in this morning with, what are some answers to prayers that you've seen? What are answers to prayer? And somebody said, well, I think my, my brother uh, has needed income and finally was able to get income. God provided a job here. And we've been in a journey where we needed a job here. And this is going on. Our marriage is getting stronger. And, and it's really good. And we're living less than that. Like, like, like you think I'm like, oh, man, you guys are great. Like, like when you start talking about the ways God is answering prayers, the last thing I'm thinking about is you. I mean, I love you, but, like, I'm just like, that's awesome. That's awesome. And what does it do? But it, it, it instills in me and in others more faith. To go, I should ask God for these things. I should see him move. And when he doesn't move, I should learn about what's going on even in my own heart. Maybe it is that James 4 you have because you don't ask. When you ask, you ask for the wrong motives. Maybe it's a motive check. Maybe God needs to correct the ways that I'm thinking or the ways that I'm praying. That's fine. Do I expect my children to come to me with really well-reasoned, thoughtful, emotional, heartfelt prayer requests that are only others-oriented? Others Never. Never. Am I like, hey, well, hold on. That's pretty selfish. Fix it. And then we'll talk. Right? Like, like I don't come with that. Like, bam, let's go. They, they might be disagreeing. We get opportunity in those moments to speak of God. And God corrects us. So, so this is, I would love for you, everybody in this room, men, women, and children, I would love for you to kind of just break that dam that exists in our minds that I don't think I could ask this of God because it's too embarrassing. Because it, it, feels, it feels wrong. Like I want you to break through that dam because, first of all, do you not think God already knows that? Like, does he, does he not already know what's on your heart? Like, is he not unaware of that? And so it's like, like not praying it somehow keeps it a secret from God. I think we really do operate that way. We operate like, well, if I don't, if I say it, once I say it out loud, I mean, Jesus already says, like, God already knows what you want. And so you don't even have to pray long about it. You just pray quickly about it because your heart's already known. But then that actually begins to teach us. I'll give you an example personally. It's like I have, I've talked to you about list on list on list and all the ways I pray and all the things I try to keep up with. And I, sometimes I fall asleep praying and sometimes I don't. And sometimes I'm really in, like in the prayer zone, whatever that is. 
and other times I'm not. And I look at some of my requests from time to time, and I'm like, I don't even know why I'm still praying that. Right? Because, because when I, maybe at the time I wrote it and wanted it, like, to see God answer it, I was really just caught up in myself. And after, it could be years, honestly, but after like weeks, months, or years of seeing it, I just go, ugh, there's a lot about me in there. But what's happening even in that is that God, by his spirit, is teaching me about how to pray better. And that's a good thing. Like there's nothing to fear in going before God with requests. Because even a no is something to rejoice over because God knows what you need. And so you go, man, God, God didn't answer the prayer like, he thought he, like I thought he would, and I'm not sure what's going on with that, but can, can you talk to me about it? Can you help me understand what's maybe even going on in my own heart? Like regardless, you see it, right? Look, look it says, follow the flow of Ezra again. We call the fast that God would protect us, our children, and our possessions on this journey, which was months long. Let's get over to where we need to get. I, we called the fast because I told the king we'd be good. And so now we have to. And so we did this, and he answered us. It's awesome that that statement from Ezra, because we're in the first person at this point in time, like that statement was inspired by God for us to see what he did, why he did it, and what God did. And it doesn't end with, and isn't it great that we prayed? In fact, Ezra is kind of reducing himself in this, isn't he? I was ashamed to ask, so I had to go to God. He's, he's basically saying, there's no Ezra in this. There's nothing in this of me. This is God's movement. This is God. His promises, his person, his work. I would love it if we as a church family would pray more specifically for things that we really are confident God has called us into. One of those things for any Christian in this room are great commission-based prayers. That's why that month for us is going to be focused on unbelievers because God wants people who don't know him to know him. And he uses us, as stupid as we are, to do it. Bumbling, bumbling idiots. That's who we are. We misspeak, we misstep, we are rude, we're often jerky, we know we're not the witnesses we should be, and God says, and you're still my strategy, because he's given us his word, he's given us his spirit, <laughs> like he saved us from death. Go and make disciples of all nations. Prayers that we know are prayers that should be prayed. If we don't know any other ones, are prayers for salvation. And that as we go, God would give us opportunities to speak of him. Now, one thing that I love in the, in the ministry of Jesus, and we looked at this a little bit last week, in Esther, when he, Jesus goes before his heavenly father and he says, if there's any way, let this cup pass before me, but not my will, but your will be done. But on the front end of Jesus' public ministry, do we remember how it begins after his, you know, like, like right there at the beginning of Matthew, do you remember how it begins? It begins with 40 days of fasting and prayer. 
that he starts his journey with fasting and prayer. Matthew 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led up. There's a lot of weird phrasing in here. Led up by the Spirit. So the Spirit is moving Jesus into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. But you see, the Spirit directed Jesus to a space that included fasting and prayer on the front end of his ministry that also included that temptation. Now, many would look at the temptation of Jesus and show how in every way Jesus overcame temptations that Adam and Eve could not overcome. That Jesus stood firm on God's word and God's promises even in the face of earthly temptation, misuse of God's word. He stood, people use the phrase like the truer and better Adam, but that Jesus stood in those moments. But what was it in the midst of? We talk about this in the contrast between the the garden and the wilderness. The garden had every provision necessary to resist temptation. The wilderness had none except the sun. And with no resources and no food and little energy to come out of that, and he was hungry. Jesus stood. So we see how Jesus finished, I'll say his public ministry, right before he heads to the cross with prayer before his father. We see how Jesus begins his public ministry with prayer before his father. It's a reminder for us that you see God's people throughout all time and you see the son do the same. Is that if you were to read the scriptures and go, what seems to be a key part of people who walk with God? We couldn't get the list very long before we got to prayer. In Jesus' own ministry, came into and out of and all throughout. You see the phrases that the, that the gospel writers will make about Jesus. And he often went to go pray. Or he went, oh, and Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, but he sent us onto the river, or onto, the, onto the lake. Um, and so all of these little statements, and you'll find them, they're like breadcrumbs almost, throughout the gospels of showing us how Jesus operated with his heavenly father throughout his ministry. It wasn't just coming in and going out. It was always 